and welcome to Crackle Comics, episode number 24. We're back talking new books this week. Dan's on vacation, so it's just me and Vince. How are the books? I don't know. They're all right. I was honestly not super yeah. impressed. There were books I liked and books I didn't like. I There was one book I liked, but you didn't read it. But I'm going to keep trying to get you to read it. We are getting into the rundown now. And, you know, we're going to kick things off with arguably the only Batman book that any of us have any desire to read right now at least until joker war is over it's batman the adventures continue chapters six and seven this digital first series from dc comics alan brunette paul dini and ty templeton they're all back again to continue the adventures of the dc animated universe batman this i'm guessing taking place between you know those final episodes of the new batman adventures and before justice league or Maybe this takes place while Justice League's happening. I have no idea. But chapter six is the conclusion to Mentors, which is the story that introduces Deathstroke. And then Lex Luthor informs Slade (laughs) that he has 24 hours to get Batman. So he puts his plan into action. And they've been using like Firefly as the ruse. And then Bruce and Tim are sitting down for dinner while Tim tries to get Bruce to go out to the movies. But he still says he's grounded after um, going out and hanging out with Deathstroke, where Batman warned him not to. But the bat signal lights up, and Batman arrives to see Gordon and the rest of the GCP knocked out by sleeping gas by Slade. And he's like, hey, I know where Firefly is. And that gets Batman its attention, so they go to team up. And then we flash to Barbara being contacted by Tim in the Batcave as she's working in a library. She's a librarian now, and they're talking about how she hasn't been contacted by someone in a year. And I'm guessing that's Dick. Um, it, Maybe it's Jason, but I... I don't really know. It's kind of left up in the air, but she finds a bookmark reading. It's a trap, which tips her off that Batman's going to be double-crossed by Slade. And this now flashes to Batman and Slade fighting Firefly. And then Batman figures out that, oh, Firefly isn't the real Firefly. It's Slade's sidekick in disguise because of the lifts in the shoes. And then Batman gets help from Robin and Batgirl as they heat up Slade's costume that's Kevlar-based. So he's just going to get heated up from the inside and it forces him to surrender. And then in the Batcave, using the Batcomputer, they see that the tip that Barbara got in the library is from their mysterious follower. Then they now know, oh, this guy knows who we are. And that's, that would be Jason Todd. Chapter 7, this is the beginning of a new story called The Darker Night. And this is the introduction of Azriel to the DCAU. And Batman's chasing after Catwoman, but she's stopped by Azriel and they f- have a fight with Batman. And Batman beats Azriel with gas pellets, guessing that he didn't insulate his mask. And then Bruce mentions that he, they fought a long time ago, um, a lifetime ago, to be exact, is the to quote it. And then Azriel was after Catwoman because she had stolen the shawl of Magdalene, which is a sacred artifact of the Order of St. Dumas. And then after talking to Selina, getting her to the police, Batman gets a call from Alfred saying that they have a visitor. And it's like Azriel holding the sword to Alfred's throat. And then they go meet back in the Batcave and get reacquainted with each other. And then Azriel says he took the armor idea from Batman and tells him how he discovered his identity from their fighting styles and they agree to team up to find the shroud and their case takes them to the iceberg lounge where they get where they go to shake down the penguin and batman and alfred redo asriel's armor so now he's got the iconic bat armor from nightfall now and asriel gets pretty intense with penguin but we end up seeing them getting captured or like getting the drop on by mr wing which was penguin's new henchman creature who appears to be like this giant human Splice talk creature. Maybe that's like a early splicing thing from uh, Batman Beyond. I don't maybe uh, reading too much into it, but you know this giant humanoid hawk creature they're gonna have to fight 
and the next chapter. I'm still liking this book. I still think it's pretty enjoyable. I think Ty Toppleton's art is still pretty good here. These are only, I'm pretty much just going to keep talking about them in two chunks because these are only 11 pages and, you know, two chapters equal one actual issue. But Vince, this is your first dive into this series. What do you think of The Adventures Continue? Yeah, I jumped right into chapter seven, first time um, attempting this, and I'm not sure I'm going to return. I like how the credits page looks like a title card, um, especially in this format. That's a nice little feature. I do not like the new Batman Adventures Catwoman design much, but that's just, you know, that's when this book is set. So that's what they're using. And I feel like the, the way that they are like, oh, yeah, we'll design a new armor for you. You know, because because we think you you know we want you to look less imposing for our optics. It was a slightly awkward way to incorporate both the classic and Asbats designs. But I guess within this art style, they look fine because that's the other part of this whole series is incorporating characters that were not in the DCAU. Yeah, from um, the toilet. So that's yeah. when they have both figures. So that's why they have to do both armors. But and it's like it's fine. I mean, yeah, like the writing. I wasn't super impressed by the writing, and I think some of that is not on the writers. I think it's a little bit on the format. Like this, it does, there's a, a general feel that this is similar to a BTS episode, but it feels a lot more disposable or something. I don't know how to describe it, a lot more fleeting, but it's also not quite like the Batman event, like the original, original Batman Adventures comic. So personally, I just don't feel the need to read this more. Maybe when it's like all done in the can and is reformatted and everything to keep the stories together and in on paper, maybe I'll check it out if I, you know, if I find it, but uh, I'm not super invested in this. I'd say about every two, uh, every two chapters per story arc equal like what an episode would be in terms of looking at it like that. So like the Slade story would have been like two episodes, but like the first chapter, I think that was three parts. I can look at that as like a one episode. I think it's getting better as it goes along. Um, it is kind of weird to see like, oh yeah, we fought a lifetime ago. Cause like you have to try to incorporate these characters that had never been in this show that has, you know, almost 30 years of continuity built up and that, you know, they never did Jason Todd. So that's the big build here is to show how they're going to integrate them, which obviously they couldn't do them in the show back in 1993 or 97 by the time they got around to doing Tim Drake. But We'll see how what they do here, which will be interesting. But keeping with DC, going into Deceased Dead Planet number one, and this reunites the original team of Tom Taylor and Trevor Hairsign. And then we got Gigi Balsdani and Stefano Gaggiano on inks. And this is the next miniseries in the kind of constantly expanding Deceased line or universe, as, like I said, reunites the original team from the first miniseries. And... This is going to be number one of seven, and this is set five years after the first one. And we now see that the surviving heroes have set up shop on their new homeworld, dubbed Earth 2. The new Justice League consisting of Jonathan Kent, Superman, Damian Wayne, Batman, Black Canary, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Cassie Sands, Marks, and I Wonder Woman. And then we get like, there's other characters too in the background, but that's kind of our core that we're working with here. And then we're, we all see them stopping a war from begins from like these uh, these aliens. And then John's able to negotiate a peace treaty with his mother, Lois Lane, who is president of Earth 2. 
And then Damien's notified by Alfred that his briefcase is being sent a Morse code signal from Cyborg's sentient severed head that's still back on the infected Earth. And it's revealed that Bruce Wayne had planted like a deep like Morse code alert to the Justice League that there might be a code to alert the Justice League to say, hey, maybe there is a cure out here. Maybe we're wrong. So they all kind of take a vote and realize, all right, let's go investigate. At least let's just get Cyborg's head like bounce in, bounce out. We'll be fine. And upon arriving um, and finding Cyborg's head, they're in, ambushed, like their ship gets hit. And the infected Wonder Woman, the, the original Wonder Woman, Diana, uh, comes out and sure just ambushes them. And, you know, it. Oliver Queen gets stabbed. It looks like he's like dead or going to die. And the cliffhanger seeing that John has learned that there is a cure but is it too late? Cause he like gets stabbed through the, the shoulder to, in order to get to wonder woman uh, with black canary doing that. So, but the, the cliffhanger here is there is a cure and the heroes are wrong. And are they now too late? I know you don't like this because like, you just don't care for alternate history stuff, but you know, Tom Taylor carves out his, his little snippets of the DC universe. He had this. And then, you know, before that he had, the Injustice universe, and I don't know if it's the sad or the better thing, is that he writes these characters more in line with what we want them to be or remember them being before, you know, the New 52 took hold in 2011. So it's almost like you can just look at, like, if things didn't get rebooted, this is just like a story arc that maybe happened for, like, two years or something. So if you look at it like that, it totally works. I mean, we flashed in the future. We get some new legacy characters stepping up and taking mantles, which is really a fun thing. But at the heart of it is like, if the characterization's good, I think that's why these books have been fun. Plus, like, we, I know in the other miniseries, we've gotten to see Cassandra Kane's Batgirl again and like her original Batgirl costume that we, we've talked about seeing and liking. So she's no longer like Orphan or Black Bat. So, like, if you're looking for the old kind of remnants of the DC universe, deceased is kind of the place to go and view it it's a weird thing to say but it's definitely like a fun thing to maybe explore moving on to empire which is marvel's latest overhyped crossover event we read incoming a long time ago which was a lead into this particularly a long time ago at this point and now i'm actually catching up a little bit i think this was published in one of the weeks that i wasn't on the show but since they're in you know back to back connected and everything like that Let's talk about Empire Avengers number zero. This is written by Al Ewing, art by Pepe Larraz. We open with the Kree committing genocide against the Katadi in the past by way of Tony Stark's nightmare. And She-Hulk is annoying because that's the current status quo of the Avengers. Cap calls her just Hulk. I don't know how that works nowadays. They, the Avengers go off, they land on the blue area of the moon, but now it's an overgrown garden. And suddenly they, they run into a Kree sentry who's like mutated and they're trying to figure it out when the swordsman pops up out of nowhere. But of course, swordsman died, but then was merged with the Kotadi and had a, a child with Mantis. So swordsman helps him out. And then that child, Sequoia, a.k.a. the Celestial Messiah, shows up. And this issue and his appearance is heavily referencing the last time he was really, you know, existed at all in a comic book and that was the miniseries avengers celestial quest which i feel like was at least 10 years ago maybe like 15 and that itself was a sequel to the celestial madonna saga which is 70s steve Englehart. and thor was in that book so thor's like oh i know you and thor helps bring the rain which i don't fully understand the significance of this 
because it's like, oh, we need to grow the garden bigger, but it's like, there's no water on Mars, at least the way it's described here. So how did you grow the garden at all in the first place? Already huge. So they need a rain to expand it. But then there's also like Tony. Tony's kind of really annoying in this issue. And I think they're trying to go for a certain angle with him. And it kind of sort of does contradict. Uh, well, whatever. I, Tony's annoying. And it, Tony's like, oh, this rain, it's, it's cleansing. Even though I have my armor on, it, it doesn't make any sense. You know, it's just spiritual mumbo jumbo. And Tony goes in, like, goes on and on. He's like, he doesn't believe in gods. While, you know, Thor is standing next to him, which he acknowledges, but he also has bare minimum other teammates like Hercules, like the Forgotten One slash Gilgamesh, probably several others that I'm definitely others that he's met. And it's like, uh, it's a great area in the Marvel Universe in lore where it's like the Asgardians are gods or they're like a weird alternate dimension, higher being, it, whatever. The Korean scrolls, as we know, are allying. And the twist here that Swordsman and Sequoia present is that they're not necessarily allying specifically against the Katadi. That may be the case. That's his argument. Or that's just like kind of the prelude to whatever their larger plans are. And we do get here, it may have been hinted briefly before, but this is the first major part where we get the idea that Hulkling is being manipulated, which is pretty much what, you know, what you'd assume, at least based on, you know, assuming that the Avengers are going to be the good guys. And the Avengers are confused about the events of an incoming because in incoming, we saw sort of a Katadi kill those two allied Korean scroll. So maybe... You know, maybe Sequoia and Swordsman are manipulating here as well. But the Avengers are like, oh, we're the Avengers. And we don't understand any of the politics behind this. But I guess we got to fight because we're the Avengers. So they, Tony gives a honestly like, pretty underwhelming pep talk. And then it's like Avengers assemble. Uh, the fleet is, the Korean scroll fleet is approaching Earth. Then the next issue, um, or actually, Mike, do you, do you have a quick thought on this? I believe you did read this one. I was just going to give it after you do both. <laughs> okay, that works. All right, Empire, Fantastic Four, number zero. Uh, the numbers don't matter. These are one-shots. Written by Dan Slott, who is the regular Fantastic Four writer, while Al Ewing is not the regular Avengers writer, um, at least the main title. Art on this issue by R.B. Silva and Sean Isaacs. Sean Isaacs is the artist on Fantastic Four, um, but they're also, I don't know, pulling the, Mar the Marvel's current event comics artists onto this book. So there's a cosmic casino with Korean versus scroll gladiator fights. It was formerly owned by the Grandmaster, but now it's run by his sister, the Profiteer. And we learn here through the Fantastic Four that the galaxy-wide economy is screwed up. And, you know, that's hinting at just cataclysmic changes in power structure and everything. And I'd like to thank Dan Slott for having both Mask, the Mask Singer and Baby Yoda references in this issue. Because it's not like this is an event book that people are hypothetically going to want to read in 50 years. And they're going to be like, what the hell is the mass singer, the mass singer and Baby Yoda? I mean, well, they'll, they'll know what Baby Yoda is probably. But it, it, whatever. It's just stupid dated references. And it's interesting that Al Ewing doesn't use a single one. Obviously, very anecdotal, 22 pages, but still. And the four get a lift by forcing Ben into one of these gladiator matchups. And there's precedent here, of course. Um, obviously, Ben fought the challenger as kind of when he was looking for his his cosmic or his universe-wide 
people that could stand up to him. And then he like literally for like a whole year in his solo book in the 80s was a professional wrestler. And Johnny really gets into the kind of hype man, wrestling manager, mumbo jumbo for a bit. While Val, she shows up at a casino and despite being a teenager, wiggles her way through and, you know, she's super duper smart. So she's like, let's sell our ship and we're just going to gamble because I'm, I, I can make a bunch of money. I'm super smart. Um, but of course, Val screws up and her and Franklin lose all the money um, when they were supposed to be just kind of staying with the ship. And now's a good point. I mentioned how the last issue presents Celestial Quest, but both of these issues have pretty clunky narration and exposition around continuity. This time they're referencing a little bit of Secret Wars, but more specifically an annual that followed Secret Wars. Ben and Johnny jump in the middle of a fight, one of these gladiator fights, because it turns out they're between two children. Sue turns invisible and helps her kids cheat at gambling, while Reed kind of goes and screws around with the profits here. The kids rake in the loot, and they trade. They basically take over the casino just because they won so much, and they make a trade. Hey, give us our ship back. Give us some fuel, which is the whole reason this story started in the first place. And also, we're going to purchase, I mean, purchase for their freedom, but we're going to purchase those two slave kids from you. So now the Fantastic Four have a little scroll girl and a Cree boy on their ship. And they're, you know, they were bred to like be gladiator fighters despite being kids. So they're a little bratty. And Ben makes a bunch of comments about like them having like chipmunk style voices, which is funny and it works, but I don't, it's just something slightly off about Ben's voice in this issue at least. And they warp right into the middle of the Alliance fleet. And next, I guess, is Empire number one. Neither, I don't know, neither of these two issues felt essential to what I assume to actually be the plot of Empire. I guess they're more like 0.5 issues for their respective series to then direct you into the event. It's, it's whatever. Yeah, the, I wasn't wholly impressed by the Avengers issue. I even thought Pepe Relaz's art uh, felt a little bit rushed here, and it might have been considering uh, just some of the stuff on Iron Man's armor looked a little wonky, but because uh, I, I only read the Avengers part, I, I was interested to see how heavily Tony was the central character as he's still going through all that Iron Man 2020 uh, stuff, which well, is weird because he's fully back yet. So it's weird to see him be your central tie while you're also doing this big event with him as things are kind of colliding on your schedule. Yeah, well, well, Marvel's continuity, as we know, sucks, you know, over the past 10 years or so, regardless. But with the pandemic and everything, even if they try to keep things in relative order, I imagine things are even more out of order. So who the heck knows? But it is also um, what, you, what you said stuck out to me, because it is also interesting that Iron Man is such a focal character in the Avengers issue, because that's the Al Ewing one, the Al Ewing half of the story, and slot for the moment, is also the Iron Man writer. Well, for now, we we know at least know that Christopher Cantwell, who's helming the current Doctor Doom series, is going to be launching the uh, the new number one whenever that comes out. But I, I I do my comments on from what I'm just hearing from the Fantastic Four issue isn't Reed smart enough to know that the house always wins when gambling? Yeah, um, well, he doesn't really gamble. He's not. There's not any. There's not really questionable stuff with him, in my opinion, in here. I'm it's, just it's, saying, I feel like the Valerian and Reed should both be smart enough to know that. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Val- yeah, for Valeria, she's the one who really gets gambling. But it is actually kind of cool where, you know, she loses it all, but then Sue catches up with them. And basically, Sue just sits there invisible and, like, manipulates, you know, looks around at everyone else's cards around the table and then whispers to, whispers to Val or straight up, like, flips the dice. You know, it lands on something and she, like, nudges it. It's kind of entertaining. All right. But then my other part with that is, is this gearing up for more heroes fighting heroes? Like, are the Avengers going to end up fighting the Fantastic Four? Because if that's what's going to happen, I don't care about this event at all. Um, I'm not clear because there was kind of that kind of tease at the event end of the Avengers issue where it almost presented like the Fantastic Four are going to be at odds with them. But I'm not really certain. I don't know how that would work out. I guess the the Fantastic Four, especially with these two slave kids, they may be more pro-alliance, whereas the Avengers, who are coming from the perspective of the Celestial Messiah and Swordsman, they're going to be more pro-Katadi. And the Fantastic Four aren't as familiar with the Katadi, so that may be their difference, that may be their different perspective off the bat, but, uh, you know, it's there's at least going to be a turning point at a certain point when everyone realizes that Hulkling is being manipulated and you know, all the Earth, all the main characters we know are going to team up and whatever. I'm really just in this story for the continuity stuff. I'm hoping Elijah shows up. Um, that's about it. I, I just like seeing, oh, this is that other scroll story. Like, when did the scroll kill crew show up? Um, even though they also, like, some of them have not been 110% confirmed yet, but they also cut, like, literally half of the planned tie-ins for this book. They've just canceled due to yeah. the, the pandemic and then the slow start back up and maybe someone's shaking some sense into Marvel, which has its, I mean, canceling half your plan tie-ins, which are already solicited, which there are already ideas for plot lines, has its pluses and minuses, but I don't know, maybe plus overall in the end. I mean, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember what was and what wasn't canceled, but if the X-Men books were canceled, it kind of ha- that makes me happy because... I don't know how we would handle all the X-Men books plus the Empire Giants plus X of Swords when that starts up. I feel like we'd go insane. Yeah, I'm not... I know that at least for the moment, again, Marvel... Because also, we've referenced on a couple of the past few shows how Marvel made some of their books digital only. Now, as of like two days ago or so, they announced that they are, to some extent, going to print physically some of those at least. So like Hawkeye Freefall, for example... The single issues will be coming out at some point, you know, obviously after the digital has already come out, but for those collectors. But I know at least for the moment, the ghost, there was a Ghost Rider one shot, which was canceled, which is interesting because, you know, we're going to talk about Ghost Rider later on the show. And Ghost Rider has weaved between some of these events already. There was a, an absolute carnage tie-in and um, whatever else. Um, and the there's like, Marvel has just too many books but obviously the writers are on it and someone is reading them so it's unfortunate but there's a book called black panther and the age of wakanda and there was supposed to be that was kind of supposed to transition into a tie-in miniseries and that was canceled so effectively that book is just has plot lines unresolved so it is what it is yeah i saw i saw jim's up gave an interview about that because that was his book it seems like that guy just can't catch a break where all the stuff keeps getting canceled which is disappointing because from what his stuff is, I like from what I read, I liked his stuff. But moving on to kind of the magic and mystics section of Marvel, as we've got these all grouped together, 
Doctor Strange number five. This is Mark Wade and Kev Walker. So to catch you guys up, if you remember what's been going on, because it's been a while, uh, Doctor Strange is investigating who and what has come into as a magical forge, creating and stealing weapons and getting in the hands of others to make destruction. And his takes case him to Nidavellir, where he fights like two demons, Mr. Smile and Mr. Sulk. And then he finds that one of his friends um, that had been uh, the dwarves on Nidavellir was killed. And then he gets a message from Zelma, where we see him make a visit to the Strange Academy to receive a message from Grimlack the Troll's widow, where he's informed that the prominent wand maker has died in a murder. And this might be connected to what's going on with Strange's case. And then hearing that the murderers of Grimlack were heading to the Krill City Market for kind of a, this like auction, Strange and Dr. Druid devise a plan to disguise themselves to get into the auction. Because if they go into Krill City with their current looks, they'll just be killed because every all the demons want to fight Doctor Strange. Um, so with misdirection and the element of strides, they end up using like technology devices to mask themselves to look as demons. And Strange takes the one that makes him look like the lackey, while Druid takes the, the one that makes him look like the leader of these two demons that go in at the auction to discover it's actually Madame Mask who's behind the selling and stealing of Strange's weapons from his forge. And Mask seeks out the demon that she thinks is Strange, but re then reveals that it's Dr. Druid to her surprise. And then the meanwhile, like Dr. Strange is like high up in the rafters, like planning his uh, his strike. So the next issue, I think the, the big fight's going to happen. But this is still pretty fun. It was it obviously spinning out of Mark Wade's already kind of lengthy previous run on Dr. Strange where he was in space, but now he's getting to more kind of classic Dr. Strange stories per se, even though he's got the power of his hands to use surgery again. I like the fact that he at least incorporated Strange Academy in here. So there doesn't seem to be like quite a divide, but that was more of like a, hey, Strange Academy is here. Go read that too, as we got like a pop-up text for that as well. But, and then Kev Walker's art continues to be pretty good too. It reminds me a little bit of like John Romita Jr. But yeah, Dr. Strange number five continues to be pretty good. And I think this next issue will wrap up the opening arc on the who's been taking Strange's weapons. And then we'll see what happens with the Dr. Druid stuff as Wade's been setting up for maybe like a double cross and he turns into a villain there. Yeah, here's our little crossover that is not a crossover because Strange does not show up at all in Strange Academy number two. So who knows when it takes place. Um, and this is continuity wise also very early into the Strange Academy series written by Scotty Young, art by Humberto Ramos. Last issue came out March 4th, so it's been quite a while, and I don't remember shit, really. I think Dormammu's son has a crush on the main character. I think that's hinted at here, which is kind of interesting because he's like a demon extra dimension dude. Uh, the first day, this is basically, this whole issue is the first day of school. They go through all their wacky classes. You know, they're all dangerous. It's, it's basically like Harry Potter, exactly. Magic literally banishes two of her students to hell when one of them shows up late and the other one kind of teases the other one for showing up late. So she just sticks them together in hell. Man-Thing teaches botany. Uh, I don't know how that works since he doesn't talk. And then there's a class list as an extras page, kind of like Wolverine and the X-Men and some of those other, some other books in this vein. It's still pretty fun and Ramos's art I think is pretty solid as well. Um, similar comments as I made on the first issue, but there's not a ton to really latch onto in this issue. There's not like much further, much furthering of characterization. There's a few little hints at things to come, but mostly your this issue is really more getting a feel for the school some more. You get the, the hectic day in the life and setting up more some of the teachers and things like that and their connection to the students. 
I don't even think it really teases something next. Uh, I don't know what happens next, but it's a school book. So, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it was solid. I like this book. Ghost Rider, number seven, Ed Brisson, Aaron Cooter. The conclusion to Hearts of Darkness 2, Johnny Blaze is consumed by the demons he's been sending back to hell and manipulation by Mephisto. Is He's totally lost it, and he's about to kill Doctor Strange before Wolverine, Punisher, and Danny Ketch can come to his aid. And meanwhile, trying to save Johnny from Mephisto's influence, Lilith is commanding all these demons on Earth, or at least the ones in New York City, to take their shot at Blaze and Mephisto and then that she'll pay out for whoever kills them. So we get this giant fight in the middle of Manhattan, or I guess at least in front of Bleecker Street, Doctor Strange's uh, house. Um, and then Danny comes out in the last second with his new persona. I think it's the spirit of corruption, if I remember. And then he's able to turn Johnny back and save the day. And then Johnny takes takes himself and he's like, thanks to the crew. And hey, by the way, Danny, I'll need you for this upcoming war in hell. And then our epilogue sees Danny back in the bar and he finds Blackheart holding his friends hostage, and he's like, "Hey, they'll have you and I will have to join forces if we're going to win this upcoming fight in hell." I'm, I, I guess, if, I guess, I guess against Mephisto. I think, I think that's what they're setting up for. I enjoyed this. It was, I think, a lot easier to go jump back in because it was so much action based. It was very much an action issue to showcase Aaron Cooter, which I'm happy he's on this book because I enjoy his art, but. I'm wondering where we're left to go now. Is Johnny our protagonist? Is Danny our protagonist? I feel like we're just going to keep switching back and forth. And at least I'm getting the vibe that Danny is going to get his Ghost Rider powers back eventually. And I think the whole spirit of corruption thing is just like this little like intermediate phase until we have that moment where Johnny eventually will give him back his, his Ghost Rider powers. But I enjoyed this. Uh, I don't know how much it really lives up to as a sequel to Hearts of Darkness, but Vince, I'll, I'll leave you to talk about that, how it stacks up in terms of a sequel. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't stack up at all. It really, like, I mean, the original was John Romita Jr. art. It was, you know, an oversight, a prestige one shot and had the three main characters like actually prominent and doing things. It's just this, like, this was ultimately just a glorified guest appearance for Punisher and Wolverine. And the Blackheart, which was the prominent part of the original Hearts of Darkness, is really just, we, we saw him also in like only one page in previous issues. But in this issue, they finally get their Blackheart and it's just another final page tease as the story moves forward. Um, I don't know why Johnny didn't just give Danny back the Spirit of Vengeance at the end of this issue. Johnny is fine now. He, had, he basically says, hey, Danny, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I mean, he doesn't really say that, but they make their peace. So it's like, you know, just fix it. And can we get out of this stupid status quo? Mephisto makes a one-off joke telling Punisher he'd be a good ghostwriter, har har. I mean, Blackheart, that final page is pretty dope. But honestly, I, I feel Cooter's art has a ton of inconsistency in this issue. And um, I think in the sum total of things, besides like maybe the number one issue, that's kind of been my takeaway almost every time. And not even counting the fact that there are really two artists on this book uh, or more flipping between things. I don't know, like this is, the crazy thing is this was only issue seven. I feel like we're a little bit farther, but because we really are, because there've been a couple one shots. So I don't know, I, I'm reading it because I like Ghost Rider and everything, but this- it's the vibe I'm getting too. Kind of been disappointing. 
Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's kind of started off great, and it's just it's flamed out very very fast. I'm just wondering. It's I'm just like what, left wondering what's the direction of this series. That's that's my biggest takeaway. And if, if some consistency can hold itself down, I I think it'll find its voice. But you know, issue seven, really issue ten, you're I, I don't know how much longer we're gonna hold on. But I might I might keep reading it for the fact it's the first time we've had a ghostwriter book in a while. Yeah, and and my concern is all right, it's finding its place or it's getting to the status quo that I actually want, but that's not a guarantee. I mean, I don't I'm sure issue one did pretty well. There was some hype about a ghostwriter book again, you know, the art looked great, everything like that. But especially considering that they're doing some of these one shots, which could either be you know, a move to squeeze out more story or to squeeze out more money or both. It's hard to say whether, you know, from what perspective, at least the marketing team and everything like that looks at those one shots for this series, as opposed to say Immortal Hulk, where the one shots are just, you know, cash in, give me more. But, um, you know, how, how long can this series realistically last in today's market and today's Marvel? And by the time they cancel it, are we going to get the Danny Ketch or even Danny Ketch and Johnny book that like most people really wanted? Like no one went into this saying, oh yeah, Danny Ketch is going to be Ghost Rider again. He's going to be in a, you know, the main character of a book, but we're really looking forward to him having a different costume and powers. No one said that going into that. No one says that about basically any character, let alone, you know, like a, a BC lister who hasn't starred in a book in 20 years and you know if if issue 15 hits and johnny and danny still the spirit of corruption and then it gets canceled at 20 or whatever yeah 18 or whatever like what's the damn point right and i think the more disappointing thing is i don't think danny's been ghost rider since issue one so yeah i don't even remember when that happened all right moving on to hawkman number 25 written by robert venditti art in this issue by Mark Castiello, inking by Danny Miki. So this, similar to Empire, I'm actually catching up with issue 24 as well, as the book finally moves away from You're the Villain and Infected stuff, even though from everything I've heard, Venditti handled that about as well as you could. Probably probably easily the, among the books affected, probably handled it the best. But coming out of that status quo is that Carter is now with Shiera, a.k.a. Hawkwoman, who is a totally different character from Hawkgirl, who was on the Justice League book, or I guess is on, or not on the Justice League book anymore. I don't even know. I don't care. They're on a planet, but also like in an alternate dimension with a bunch of caveman-type dudes, and they're making some Stonehenge things. And it's related to both of their first lives. And kind of the backbone of this series is that Carter's first life he was a shitty person. He was like uh, this like war. I mean, he was, it was basically, it's basically he was the silver surfer. So he's called Qatar, the death bringer. And then that explains the whole resurrection gimmick that he, you know, he'll, we'll, he will have peace at last if he redeems and saves as many lives as he killed and cost in his first life. And they fight some guards in red Hawkman-esque armor. Then the Lord Beyond the Void shows up, who I guess is the leader of this realm and possibly was essentially Carter's original Galactus figure. They fight together against this Lord of the Void. 
Lord Beyond the Void, but he beats them and he ties them up and he's going to suck up their live energy, which of course is plural for them. And that'll make him super strong and invade other universes, including, I guess, the main one that we know. I don't know. There's also an artist change between part one and part two. Part one is Fernando Passerin. And this arc is not really blowing me away. It's just kind of fine right now. I think this is still a solid book, but it's kind of just a solid book. But I'm going to keep reading now that it's a little bit more on a straighter path. And hopefully this arc isn't super long or at least gets more interesting and maybe move on to different stuff. Who knows? And this is another book where this is issue 25. This could get canceled at the end of this arc. Who knows? But it's good. X-Force number 10, Ben Percy, Joshua Kassara. So Beast is back to being a total piece of shit that we've seen him be in the past, um, as it's revealed that he's kind of behind the entire Terra Verde telephoronic experiment gone horribly wrong. X-Force is trying to stop the spread of the telephoronics brought on by Beast's manipulation and death of the president's son that we saw in previous issues. And this caused the whole nation to be overrun by the vegetation and kind of killed. And then Gene discovers this and essentially casts Beast out and calls him out for what he's done before going through the portal with Black Tom Cassidy um, and then just kind of just, just saves the day. And then the end is Logan and Gene sharing a bath in a beer as Gene's mulling over the decision on whether to quit the team and what her position on the team really is after finding out what Beast did along kind of going along with the fact of we can't keep secrets from each other as this series is kind of taking that direction. And then also I think Percy is having fun again as he, keep, he keeps killing uh, Kid Omega. I think this is like his third or fourth death at this point. And then this is at least Domino's second death because she dies here too. But of course, you know, death doesn't matter with the X-Men anymore unless you're Kitty Pride because they can just bring everyone back. I still thought it was good, though I'm wondering where we're going to go with this ending with Logan and Jean and what comes next because I guess this is kind of the end of an arc per se. Yeah, this is the spooky plans issue um quentin is particularly edgy which is a plus or minus there's also a pouches joke essentially kasara's art here is strong it's slightly different from the earliest issues i don't know how to pin it down i didn't pay attention to the credits maybe it was a different colorist or the colorist isn't going as hard that those are my two guesses um because you still get a lot of this stuff but it just doesn't feel as like rich and vibrant which was that very unique look, which I think came a lot from the colors in the first two issues where like, especially me, I was going back and forth on like, do I not like this art or do I like this art? And ultimately settled on really liking it. And some of that, some element of that is not quite here in this issue, in my opinion. But otherwise the art is good. There's some body horror shit. When Quentin like gets turned into a bunch of flowers, it's pretty cool. We don't, I mean, obviously this is Krakoa Donovac, so... It's not, it doesn't matter as we know, that's the whole point. But we don't get, we don't like see Quentin and uh, Domino back towards the end of this issue. So I wonder if they're gonna bother wasting pages in the next issue to show that, or just, you know, next issue, next story, they're back, they're fine. Far, I remember when Domino died the first time, it was just like, all right, Domino's back. Yeah. We also, as Gene considers leaving, there's some hints towards other characters like Colossus possibly showing up, who we already saw prominently in a couple of issues of this series. Um, who and I think you know he might he would be an interesting fit, especially considering his current um, kind of perspective on things. Beast is a jerk. I don't really like that, but that's you know that's years before this, 
someone else screwed that up. And at this point, especially since initially he was kind of in opposition to Cyclops, at this point I kind of lean into it and just say, yeah, Beast is a jerk. And then Logan and Gene is just, I don't know. It's, it's, this is a great, this is a good functional issue, kind of not quite what I want from X-Men. And that's kind of as my take as it evolves on Dawn of X overall. Or I don't even know if we can still call this Dawn of X. We can just call it the Dawn of X era, the Hawkspox era, or the Hickman era. You can, we'll see what one gets dubbed as this goes on. But I don't know. Like, I don't, like, truthfully, they, they've pretty much just come out right and said that it's a polyamorous relationship at this point. I don't really give a shit. Do what you want. But it it's like, I, I don't really care with, at this point, like, being a fan, I've seen... Or like, I think you could kind of like comment on this too. Like I've seen Scott with Gene plenty and I've also seen Scott with Emma for almost an entire generation now too. Like I, and Emma is the kind of the odd one out when we're kind of going with this relationship. So it's, it's weird to not see Emma's involvement as much, but it's almost to the point where I'm just like, I kind of almost prefer Emma with Scott just because that's more what's been the status quo for so long because Gene's either been like you know evil or dead for so long which is a weird thing but like I'm just like it also like it's sex island on Krakoa everyone anyway everyone's just doing everyone so I don't really care I don't think it it doesn't impact me much at all but our final book of the week in stealth number three this is the Skybound series from Image it's Mike Costa and Nate Bellegarde there's a lot of moving parts here in this final issue. We have the Dead Hand organization going around killing doctors, this time a prominent specialist in Alzheimer's. And this is under the orders of the, the Two-Faced Man that Dan and I were talking about the last time we talked about this book. Um, and then we have this stealth using his son's jacket with his press credential inside to get into this bank safety deposit uh, box room under the cover of doing a story about the time stealth staved hostages there. And that's because the ruse is that he knows that the suit is there after Tony took it and hid it there from him in the previous issue. So we see him bust out with a suit after he asks for like a, for a cup of water and the security guard leaves. And then we see Tony's with his friend, Sana or Santa, um, who's also a reporter and he's asking her to publish a story of being like outing that stealth is his dad because he trusts her to do it. And then we see, uh, we have like a member of the dead hand making a back deal negotiation with the local Detroit gangs to go against the two faced guy as he feels the two faced man is making himself too vulnerable after showing that he's like committed a murder on like a Facebook live stream. And then stealth is back at like this old house where his brother's files were being kept searching for them. And then we see a bunch of like dudes start to swarm in on it. And that's the end of the issue. It's good, but I don't really know what's entirely happening three issues in. So I'm hoping the fourth issue when that comes out gives us a clear look at things, but I still like it, but I don't know how much longer I'm hanging on things here. But the, that's our books for the week. We've we finished them all. Vince, thoughts on books this week? I felt like I didn't read a ton, but um, that's a mix of both the post-shutdown startup slow trickle and also kind of just us slash the industry boxing us into a corner, at least me you know like i'm sure there were books coming out that i maybe was previously reading but either i lost track or it went in a direction that i would care about 
you know, that applies to basically the entire Batman line as Mike hinted at in the very beginning of the show. So I was kind of underwhelmed at both the quantity and the quality. And I'm going to give my pick of the week to Strange Academy. Okay, you're giving it to Strange Academy. I mean, I'm happy Scotty Young and Humberto Ramos have found a book to carve out. I know we were kind of up in the air of what uh, Ramos was going to do after kind of now his tenure on Spider-Man being done, that, that Patrick Gleason's kind of joined the ship on the rotating artists there. But, you know, I like Scotty Young, and it seems to be a series that hopefully is able to breathe more life after like a really unfortunate slow start uh, two issues in because of the pandemic hitting right after that issue one hit. But I'm going to give mine to Deceased Dead Planet number one. I think Tom Taylor handles the DC characters in the way that at least I want them to be slash what I remember. Not every, and it, it, it's, I don't know, it's like to a point of just like, you know, all right, John's aged up, but at least like in this universe, it wasn't like the way Bendis did it that pissed me off or just like other things about it. It's, it, I don't know, it feels like pre new 52 which is what i didn't like but i don't know there's some really good character stuff here between lois and john and and damien and then you know trevor hearsign's art i think is really really cool and fun and he can draw the hell out of uh some zombies attacking people but other than that vince any any thoughts any pluggables for this week anything looking forward for next week i think there is a book we're looking forward to for next week but i don't want to i don't want to say what it is yet um i have no idea what it is so well, I'll remind you right after we go off the air, and you'll remember. Okay. Every week is a is a new surprise as a comic book reader. That's true. We will be still covering new books next week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Crackle Comics, uh, both pages. And then continue to please remember to wash your hands, wear a mask when you go outside. I got nothing else. Vince, you have anything else? Because if not, I'm ready to bow out. Correct. All right. That's it for this week.